welcome to the JNMP. I'm Elizabeth Hyten, the JNMP podcast editor. I'm joined today by Professor Mark Humphreys from the Faculty of Biology, Medicine and Health from the University of Manchester, and more recently, the School of Psychology at the University of Nottingham, both in the UK. We're going to be discussing computational models of the basal ganglia, and in particular, what they might actually tell us about diseases like Parkinson's disease. So Mark, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you for joining me. Why do you think that disease mechanisms like those seen in Parkinson's disease are proving so difficult to accurately identify? Uh, partly it's because, particularly for movement disorders like Parkinson's, they are attacking, things that are going wrong are attacking central structures in the brain. So, obviously while we know a lot about the fundamentals of how, say, uh, vision works, or other senses work, uh, in movement disorders, the neurons that are being disrupted with the dopamine neurons of Parkinson's disease and their targets in the, in the striatum so far from the periphery of the brain that we don't have a good handle on exactly what they're doing. So the, given that we don't know what they're doing functionally in, in healthy individuals, it's quite hard to then put a handle on uh, why they go wrong when we uh, say lose dopamine in Parkinson's. So for example, even if we could nail down exactly why dopamine neurons are lost in Parkinson's disease, obviously there is there's a huge research area trying to work out whether that's due to energetic constraints or misfolded proteins or other special vulnerabilities of dopamine neurons. Even if we could do that, then we have no strong idea about how that loss of dopamine alters the neural dynamics in the rest of the basal ganglia. And so, and how you get from that change of neural dynamics to the changes in movement that you see in Parkinson's disease. So obviously we're dealing with an extraordinarily complex disease, in particular in Parkinson's disease. So you've, your paper obviously is about computer modelling. So I wonder how might computer modelling assist with addressing the complexity of diseases like this? Well, there's a few ways. So one is synthesis, another is consistency, and another is about scales. So in terms of synthesis, individual experimental studies or clinical studies tend to be focusing on a single questions. So for example, a single experimental study may look at how the loss of dopamine in the, in the striatum in an animal model of Parkinson's may affect the firing of a particular type of neuron inside the striatum. And indeed there are tens or maybe even a hundred of those kind of studies and there are studies of the individual dopamine neurons, studies of other types of neurons, uh, studies clinically of different uh, outcomes of dopamine loss and so on. So what models can do is put all that together into one place. So they one of the main uses is to synthesize all experimental knowledge into a single place so we can see how it fits together uh, and to understand how the knock-on effects of one change we see experimentally has on another structure downstream. So for example, the knock-on effects of the loss of dopamine in the striatum, what that effects that has on, say, the output nuclei of the basal ganglia, which in terms of experiment are very hard to record from simultaneously. So having synthesize that data we can also then see if it's if it's consistent so while we gather experimental data from a large range of different animal models and a large range of different experimental setups and different structures then um, the model lets us see if the data that we have gathered makes sense when we put it together so for example again uh, if we have separate recordings from dopamine neurons and neurons in the striatum when we put them together in the model we can see if the the, the release of dopamine that we were expecting to happen because of the, the, the recording of the dopamine neurons actually has the effect in the striatum that we predicted to have. And finally, there's the, there's the, what models can do is bridge scales. So we have, in Parkinson's disease, we have the cascade all the way from 
the loss of a handful of a mere few thousand dopamine neurons in, the, in a small part of the midbrain, cascading to its effects on the change of neural dynamics across a very large range of brain structures all over the basal ganglia and elsewhere. And that has effect then on behavior. And to bridge that, those scales, models can emulate the loss of dopamine on the effects on the structures in the brain and then predict what would happen in terms of behavior. So I think we talk a lot about in the review is the, the action selection theory of the basal ganglia, where the idea is that the, the dynamics of the entire basal ganglia, all the structures within it, are there to, to select between different actions. And when we emulate dopamine loss with these neural dynamics, what we see is the loss of the ability to select actions. So it's sort of arguably, I suppose, the same way in which a computer can do many things faster than we can, not just in one experiment, but applying sort of algorithmic model to a whole heap of things. Yeah, so it can both help us interpret our experiments, yes, in terms of when we're seeing particular um, types of, of dynamics inside the subthymic nucleus when they're recording it from, in, during deep brain stimulation, we're recording from the subthymic nucleus using the deep brain stimulation electrode. We see there are particular patterns of, of characteristic dynamics in the beta band or the 15 to 30 hertz oscillations. And models let us get a, an idea of what all the structures that connect to the subthymic nucleus may be doing to create those oscillations. Things we can't see experimentally, but we can see inside the model. Your paper discusses two different modeling philosophies that are applied when using computer modeling. I wondered if you could just tell us a bit about what those are. Yeah, so roughly, they divide into a camp was, uh, a philosophy of looking at the function of a brain region against the philosophy of looking at just the dynamics of a brain region. So in the, uh, on the function side, the idea is that we have evidence of the function of the particular brain region, in this case, the basal ganglia, from indirect means. So we have evidence of what happens when you have lesions, when damage to that part. So of course, in Parkinson's, what happens when we have the loss of dopamine. And for the basal ganglia, we know we have loss of lesions of the structures or we have um, dopamine loss, and we have an obvious and strong effect on various forms of movement and the ability to initiate movement and the uh, slowness of movement. So these loss of function evidence gives you an idea of what the uh, function of that structure should be. So this modeling approach tries to work out, given the, what we know about how that brain region is, how it's structured, how it's wired together, how the neurons behave, how it can do that function. And then with that model in place, you can do the loss of function simulations on that model. So we can take dopamine away from the model and check that the function changes just as it does in the disorder. So the second philosophy is to start with the, just the dynamics recorded from the brain region. So like the beta band oscillations I mentioned earlier. So in Parkinson's disease, we know there are 15 to 30 hertz oscillations that happen inside the subthymic nucleus in patients who are being implanted for deep brain stimulation. And these kinds of very characteristic dynamics are an excellent clue as to what might be going wrong because their origin must be in the wiring between neurons and the changes to the way those neurons respond to their inputs. So when we can reproduce these characteristic brain dynamics we only see in a disorder, then we can have a really good handle on what's actually changed inside the brain and therefore what to target. So for example, in, in deep brain stimulation, it may give us an example of where to put the deep brain stimulation electrode to most effectively disrupt the oscillations and restore movement. 
So there, I suppose, then has implications for treatment, which brings on me on to my next question, Mark, which was about um, your paper obviously talks about sort of three separate areas within which computer modeling could be applied, mechanisms, dynamics and treatments of Parkinson's disease in particular. I wondered if you could give us an example of, of how modeling might help elucidate on any one of those particular areas. Sure. So let me elaborate on the, the deep brain stimulation example. So uh, as Peter Brown and many others have, have, have reported, they recall from those deep brain stimulation electrodes that are placed deep inside the basal ganglions. In the cell nucleus, they're seeing these, these 15 to 30 hertz, these beta band oscillations. And they're much stronger in Parkinson's disease patients than they are in, in other healthy controls. And we can see that same difference in animals between animal models of Parkinson's disease and healthy animals. So when, when um, modelers see oscillations, they immediately think about feedback loops. Oscillations occur because of feedback between two or more things. And in the basal ganglia, there are multiple feedback loops, and there are both within it and with cortex and thalamus and the wider brain. So there's a whole range of options about where these oscillations could be coming from that are causing, well, at least correlate strongly with movement problems. So we can use models here to dissect the mechanisms of where this beta band oscillation is coming from. So models can indeed have, they've set strict limits on the types of connections that have to exist in the basal ganglia and the strengths of those connections and the delays between two or more different sets of neurons that you have to have to get oscillations in this frequency range, 15 to 30 hertz. So that means they've shown how different hypotheses for the generation of these oscillations can be ruled out because certain hypotheses dictate that you have to have a long delay between two structures and if that doesn't exist, then that can't be the, the origin of these oscillations. So as we can use these models to refine down where we believe the oscillations are originating from. And that can give us a guide to where best to place our depot stimulation electrode. And better than that, it can give us a guide to how to better design the stimulation that's coming through that electrode. So a consequence of a lot of the work on this, finding out the speed of an oscillation is to then work out how best to disrupt it. From this has grown ideas that have been ex uh, explored extensively in models of doing closed loop deep brain stimulation. The idea that you're recording constantly and instead of having this deep brain stimulation being on constantly, this 130 hertz stimulation train being always on, is that you only want to trigger it when there is an imminent problem going to be occurring, a problem with, in this case, with initiating movement. And the idea is you could you, uh, trigger that stimulation using the occurrence of these beta band oscillations. So having established where beta comes from, these models can then explore, and indeed have explored, What's the best way of disrupting these beta band oscillations and detecting when they start? So people have tried different forms of irregular stimulation, different burst patterns, and so on, to get a handle on how you might best design a closed-loop deep brain stimulation system. It's very interesting work with extremely promising implications for patients. Um, Mark, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast and discussing your work with us. Thank you for having me. So that was Professor Mark Humphreys, who was talking about his recent review in the JNMP that overviews computational models of the basal ganglia, and in particular, what they can tell us about diseases like Parkinson's disease. You can, of course, download this paper now for free from the jnmp.bmj.com and head to the JNMP for other such stories. And thank you all for listening.